0: Next on Community Matters, Representative Sarah Leitner on her no vote against incentives for the Blue Oval Battery Plant.
1: I don't regret my vote, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they are successful.
0: Mayor Mark Benke on the Battle Creek City Commission unanimous vote for a countywide transit authority. I'll be pushing hard for the county commissioners to support it. I believe the cities of Springfield, Battle Creek, Marshall, and Albion are very much in favor of it. And the charitable union back-to-school clothing drive is underway we'll hear details coming up i'm richard piatt community matters brought to you by lakeview ford lincoln is next for july 15 2023 good morning thanks for being with us on community matters you hear us saturdays on 95.3 wbck 8 a.m after the news and anytime at battlecreekpodcast.com i'm richard piatt show made possible by lakeview ford lincoln in downtown Battle Creek. We try to check in with our local legislators on something of a regular cadence. We intend to do that now with Representative Sarah Leitner, who is joining us now, of course, from the 45th District of Michigan, which includes much of central and southern Calhoun County, a little swath of eastern Kalamazoo County, and a portion of western Jackson County. Sarah, good morning.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you. We look forward to uh, checking in with you from time to time on on what's been happening. And of course, one of the more recent things before the break was getting to the budget, right? Uh, (laughs) The the big deadline at the end of June, and uh, we managed to get there. I was noticing that uh, in May, you issued a uh, statement that really wasn't so optimistic. You were concerned about some of the, the things that were happening. And then on the 29th of June, you issued a new statement in support. So something happened there sure. that made you feel better about it.
1: Well, you know, a couple of things happened. One, you know, the subcommittees uh, had pushed through budgets extremely quickly. Um, at least we felt that way and without much input as far as subcommittees go. So during the process, before the full budget came out, we had offered over 100 a hundred amendments in committee. And then when the full budgets came to the floor, the I say full budgets, they actually came as individual budgets. So like general government, Deagle, things like mm-hmm. that, education, they all came separately to the floor. Right. And when they did, we offered another, I think, 103 amendments. So we had over 200 amendments um, that we proposed for the budget in regards to boilerplate, line items, all kinds of things. It wasn't until after we had the make frack that we had very serious conversations. So, after crack, when we knew kind of the final number of where we were going to stand with revenue, Chair Whitward did reach out a hand and said, Okay, what's important to you? And, you know, my line was, Well, most of our cards are on the table. We offered 200 amendments. These things are important to our caucus. And so, um, over the next month, we did work together on numerous items in regards to boilerplate language in reporting, transparency issues, uh, because those are all important to us. Um, You want to make sure that the people have confidence in their government. And I think that, you know, the boilerplate on transparency and reporting is one way that we can do that. So we did work through that process. And then, of course, you know, there's items like local infrastructure, uh, water infrastructure, roads, you know, above and below ground. And you want to make sure that you use those dollars effectively and efficiently. Uh, One of the issues we had was uh, we had a lot of money on the books from last year. We had um, almost $9 billion total when we started this term. And I think we had about seven just recently uh, for this budget, $7 billion that went unspent last year. Mm-hmm. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. <laughs> and Obviously, I've made lots of phone calls, had lots of conversations with people and said, we really messed up and we should have spent those dollars. You know, when we were in the driver's seat and, you know, prioritize paying down debt, uh, infrastructure, water infrastructure as well. We did have lots of conversations around that because when I talked to our caucus, there were a lot of projects and numerous districts that need additional money, right? And so one of the pieces that we worked through uh, with Chair Witwer was we already have a fund established under um, Eagle. So why can't we just add to that and then maybe put some guardrails on it, you know, where it, that way we know it goes to certain communities? Because I represent lots of rural communities. A lot of our caucus members do. That way we can utilize those dollars for water, sewer, whatever. Um, you know, upgrades and or infrastructure uh, maintenance. So they committed to that. So, you know, that was a big deal for a lot of our members. We also have additional money put in there for roads and bridges. We have a lot of bridges that need some work and that, you know, went unnoticed for a long time. So that's a highlight there too. And then prioritizing also some election funding, you know, obviously with the people's proposals, proposal one and two, There's some changes in the legislature that need to be addressed. Funding needs to be addressed for the locals and also the nine days of early voting. We appropriated additional money for that that will go through Treasury and then back out to the locals.
0: So uh, I got the impression and I get it now from what you've said now, but also from your statement in June, you felt heard and uh, you felt a part of the process.
1: Yeah, we did. I mean, you know, we always had conversations, but, you know, sometimes those conversations fall on deaf ears. And until you're all in the room and you even have the executive office, I mean, you know, this is the first time in 40 years that the Democrats hold the House, the Senate and the executive office, you know. Um, So there's a lot of learning going on, but also even our leadership haven't served on appropriations in You know, don't know the process that we went through the last four years prior to this year. Um, I've sat on appropriations every year, and you know, I know some people were kind of dogging on the process, but being an appropriations member, I can tell you we did a lot of the same things. They talk about timing issues, it's not great governance, it's not a good way to go, but honestly, you don't even have bills written until the last minute. And I can tell you last year, I mean, I went through my phone and looked at my pictures and, you know, the time we got the bill when we were driving the bus was only a couple hours and before we voted on it. And we were all sitting in an appropriations room. We all kind of took a piece of it and went through different parts because, you know, as the budget is negotiated, you do want bipartisan support and it can look really different. in even a week's time so for Chair Whitworth to actually reach out though and say, you know, what's important to your caucus, because I do want this to be a bipartisan budget, I think is admirable. Her and I actually shared Eaton County for four years until redistricting. So we've had a relationship and you know, she said, Listen, we can do this without you guys. We have 56 votes. And I'm like, Do you really? <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, she did. And um, you know, I waited for it to come up on the board. But you know, like I said, there are a lot of priorities. There are a lot of things in the budget that got taken care of, especially, like I said, the reporting and transparency issues, um, some of the DEI language. There's all kinds of boilerplate that got taken care of. And then again, like I said, local infrastructure funding, funding for yeah. ag, all kinds mm-hmm. of things.
0: I noticed in your uh, in your comments in Mar in May, I should say. There was some concern about how the surplus was being spent or being um, uh-huh. potentially spent—electric uh-huh. uh, vehicles and things of oh, that sure. nature. How do you feel about that today? Did that did that change so at all your
1: we view? D- we, well, we did have some movement on the electric vehicle um, portion because uh, one one concern we had was all the money that they put in the school aid budget. Uh, for electric buses. And I'm like, okay, in Springport, that's not going to work. You're going to have buses sitting on the side of the road. And anyway, so there was some change there. I mean, there's still money there, but actually they did open it up and allow for flexibility. So it's, um, alternative fuel. So like, uh, you know, propane even if, instead of just electric. And they did decrease the amount of money that they were spending on a Electric vehicles, because I think in the school, the education budget. You know, we need to focus on the kids' programming, uh, retaining teachers, things like that. Which is why I ended up ultimately not voting for the school bus, um, because there's still, I think, work to be done there, uh, and you know, some silly stuff that's in there. You know, paying down debt was a huge thing because you know when you pay down the debt up front, then you're not paying every year. So like we, I think over $400 million went to the MIPSers between K-12 and um, public universities. And so by paying that, using some of that, the money we already had sitting there, that frees up money going forward because their liability payment isn't as much money now because that's mostly paid off.
0: Okay, well, just from my own perspective, uh, the notion that there was... Hands extended across the aisle and, and uh, dialogue there makes me feel better personally. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Maybe you hear that too in your travels.
1: We do. And, you know, this is one of the things, this, this business, relationships matter. And if you don't have a good relationship, you're not necessarily going to have fruitful conversations. And I don't believe in being the party of no, like just no to say no, I think is ridiculous and it doesn't do our constituents any good. So I think reaching a hand across the aisle is the way to go. I say this a lot. Really if if both sides can be equally unhappy then we're probably in a good place.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think they call that compromise, right?
1: <laughs> right.
0: You know, it's it's interesting you brought up the the school bus, the electric bus and alternative wow. fuel and that. I think with the Springport example, you're I think what you mean is The buses have such distances to drive that there may not be enough charge for an electric bus to to handle all that, which, of course, I guess is testimony to the whole the center of the electric vehicle question. At least I think that's what you meant. Mm hmm. Yeah, Yeah,
1: I mean, that's true. And, you know, not only that, it's like we already have trouble finding bus drivers. So they're continuing to do additional routes yeah. with the same driver, same bus.
0: Uh huh. Fair enough. It's interesting that, uh, that that question is out there in the whole electric vehicle thing. While at the same time, we're looking at a, a very sizable potential battery plant right here in uh, Marshall Township. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Uh, uh, You see all of the different perspectives, and we certainly have been spending time listening to folks on both sides of this. What's your perspective?
1: Well, here's the deal. Number one, uh, I voted no to support the Ford plant. I believe in investing in uh, economic development projects. I didn't get a lot of information in this until after January, right, which is when I started in the new district. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, the process is kind of weird as someone who come into a project that was pretty much already negotiated anyways. I I didn't do any negotiating. It was just purely informational. Now, when we look at projects, because I sit on appropriations again, like I said, and, you know, we started the SOAR fund for economic development and to prioritize projects to make things prosper here. So it's not like I'm against using the SOAR fund. The thing is, I think that in, for an area like Marshall, it's relatively small. The wages are not necessarily a livable wage in Marshall. Like the price of houses there, if you can even get a house, you're still going to be on the struggle bus. Um, and for them to get 2,500 new people and all the money that we're investing. Now, I know directly Ford isn't getting all the money, but the pro- the project right now with state dollars is about $1.8 billion. That goes to MEDA, other entities, MDOT, you know, to change around some roads. And, you know, part of the contracts, clawbacks say that the 2,500 jobs, they have to be new jobs. So people that are laid off, which you just saw that Ford laid off like 2,000 people. Um, don't count toward that 2500 So I think that's going to be a struggle. And like I keep telling constituents and people who, some people are upset that I voted no. I mean, some people are like, yeah, thank you, you know, because it is a lot of property in a quaint area. I keep telling people, I said, well, you know, I don't regret my vote. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they are successful because, quite frankly, the way I look at it is the ROI, return on investment, was not good for this project. Um, You know, there's a formula that they use. Um, This one is the worst ROI on paper uh, that we've, that have have come across the Appropriations Committee so far, uh, which is why I ultimately didn't end up supporting it. But again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they're successful. I hope they get the 2,500. I hope, uh, you know, everything starts booming there in the next few years and the communities around there also are impacted but you know i think we could have done a lot for small business and you know even quentin messer the ceo of medc said he will be focusing on small and medium projects now you know which i think is good because it's enough of these mega site things it's it's ruining farmland i'm a farmer but i'm also someone who believes in you can do what you want with your own property and you can't tell me who i can and cannot sell it to but again they're not making new farmland so um You know, it's concerning, but um, that's just where I fell with that. There's a couple of different battery options going on in the state already. Mm -hmm. I think that's enough. I mean, because eventually, I think we're going to have a battery wasteland here, and that's no good for the environment either.
0: I think what I'm getting is uh, what really pushed you over the edge to the no side is the incentive part of it. And frankly, I haven't talked to anybody, even even people in favor of it, who are comfortable with the, the incentive package, but they sort of land at the, the notion that, well, you know, this is a cost of doing business. There's no doubt. Yeah.
1: No doubt. No question. You can't even argue it. We paid a premium to keep Ford here, which I think is unfortunate that we even had to do that. But, um, I guess it is what it is now. And, um, it's really in, you know, the governor's hand with that's her project. And, uh, you know, it did pass through appropriations, just recently, so
0: so it's interesting you bring up the small business thing because I I ran into Brian Callie, who's uh, you know the former lieutenant governor. He's now the CEO of the Small Business Association of Michigan, and we were talking about this, and and he said, "Man, you know, imagine if we gave small businesses each a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, uh, imagine what could have been done with that instead well, of this big project, or or at least." Let's look at that potential instead. Do you think that would ever happen?
1: Well, here's the deal. I would hope so, because, you know, a lot of our small businesses got put out of business due to no fault of their own during COVID because of certain practices and executive orders. You can't deny that. It just happened. And I think even if, you know, because I did have Brian in my office, um, you know, a couple of times this year already. And we did talk about this. And I'm like, even if you gave them like $25,000 to Uh $50,000, you know, you give $25,000 to $50,000 in Springport or Albion or Marshall, even those other little businesses, even around the villages that I represent, you know, it would do a lot for their business. They could do some simple upgrades to help them be more efficient uh, in their business, help them just be successful again on top of their game. And I think if you spread that wealth all over with all the small businesses, I just think you'd be better off instead of just, you know, ginormous projects in one sector of the state.
0: Is it possible that smaller business ripple effect of this, I think that you alluded to a moment ago, could help make this thing more palatable?
1: Probably. I've talked to some of the economic development people around Marshall like in sister, sister areas, like Albion, for instance, and, you know, they're looking at the housing opportunities and they had already been trying to do that, but even expanding schools because Albion closed their schools and kind of fell under the Marshall wing. Right. Yeah. Well now they want to build or renovate a school and bring it back to Albion. So, you know, there's things like that. I think there's going to be a ripple effect with all kinds of things. Um and, like I keep saying i I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it's successful, and I hope all the businesses around there are successful, but we all know that the small business is the backbone of our economy um here in Michigan, and we need to do all we can to support them because they they're the ones that are closest, i think to the people um that give back. you know, you look at even our local restaurant in springport i mean we we all know the owners there and they're willing to sponsor sporting events f f a Um, you know, a kid to go on a special, you know, Washington trip or something, you know what I mean? Through Mm -hmm. one of their school, school programs. And when you get into corporate America, which, you know, lots of them are incorporated anyways, small business, you have to be for tax code, but anyways, but when you have to go through the corporate bureaucracy, um, you don't have the buy-in community buy-in, you know what I mean? So I prefer to invest dollars into small business as well.
0: All right. I, I know our time is fleeting, so I want to get to this other item before we go. And, and that's your participation on the Juvenile Justice Task Force. Uh, Sheriff Hinckley in Calhoun County spoke to us about that. He was a participant as well and, and talked about the law enforcement perspective on on juvenile justice right now and and some of the, the tools that are lacking in this area for them. Uh, I sure. presume you heard a lot of that as a, a member of that yeah. task force.
1: Well, yeah, and actually, um, so that task force was chaired by Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, and it was actually facilitated and moderated by the Council of State Governments with the Justice Center, which is a um, bipartisan bicameral organization. It's a national organization, um, and they help you connect everyone. and I was on that that task force as well, and then they also had breakout work groups, actual work groups. Okay, and so we looked at different things throughout the state in regards to. Um, You know, residential detention uh, waivers for determining whether or not um, the designation is appropriate for the kid based on their developmental capabilities. Mm -hmm. Also, um, validated risk and needs assessments. So a lot of times judges use those for sentencing, and we actually need to use those prior to disposition or adjudication to see if are they a risk. Uh, what do they need and making sure that the punishment and or diversion program. So diversion is basically a program within the community to keep them out of residential uh, detention. Make sure they're not a, a risk to society as well, because you want to make sure you're still dealing with some of the kids that are committing very assault of crimes, very serious crimes, but really less than 10 percent usually of the crimes committed around the state as a whole. I mean, it's geographical information, but as a whole, less than 10% are are very serious crimes such as murder. But yet we still detain kids at a higher rate than most anyone in the country. So we're working on some of that. But also um, we're working on continuity of care, you know, between the mental health arena and the medical arena. We're looking at the different data, you know, for domestic offenses, detention, uh, restorative justice, Uh, So we're expanding the ombudsman, children's ombudsman in the uh, state court administrative offices. We have indigent defense. Those are my bills. So Michigan indigent defense right now we have for adults. So that's, you know, the court appointed a lawyer and and all of that, those standards. Well, we're also going to expand that to juveniles because juveniles don't have that. And therefore their parents are stuck with paying for all these fines, fees, legal counsel, all of that. And children are basically indigent, obviously, with some exceptions for the most part. And then the state. Appellate Defender's Office. We're making some changes there to include juveniles to have the same sort of rights to defend themselves as well.
0: So all of these things came out of your participation in that task force and then translated into a number of bills that are going to be taken up.
1: Yeah, so it's a right now it's a twenty bill package, and some of it's technical, but it's on all those subject matters that I just you know reference: yeah. Indigenous defense, SADO, uh, juvenile residential facilities, waivers, uh, validated risk and needs assessments, um, and validated detention screening tools. Also,
0: when we talked with Sheriff Hinckley, he he spoke from the law enforcement perspective about yep. the juvenile home. Situation: yep. Some some counties don't have that option. They have to find other right. places, et cetera. This addresses well, that, I presume.
1: Some of it, um, actually, another task force is coming out of there just in regards to residential services because late last year we had uh, the issue in Detroit. I think the kid died um, a couple of years ago in our area. Actually, we had a kid die due to restraints and mm-hmm. you know just improper actions on behalf of staff. But just recently I was at Star Commonwealth and they are ready. And willing to take residential placement again, they got a bad rap. They they got kind of tied in with the situation over by here, but it wasn't this. It wasn't them. It wasn't Star Commonwealth. But right. anyways, they still have been keeping their facilities updated, and you know they believe on loving the kid, but also you know training them to be a productive member of society, uh, learning how to have responsibility, how to have financial responsibility, and also doing you know the therapy and training and getting to the root of why they. The kids are acting out the way that they are.
0: So the expectation is that these 20 bills are going to get plenty of attention when you go back in session.
1: I think so. We did have a high level um, overview of them a couple of weeks ago before we went on break. But, you know, in the fall, when we go back, I fully anticipate a more in-depth look into these bills and then the experts in those areas. Because we we talked to over 100 stakeholders and, um, you know, that input is very, very important. We also talk to people who have served in the foster arena and or juvenile arena and or prison. Um, there's also that perspective. So I, all those, all those stakeholders and experts will be coming in, um, talking about the need for this. And this is part of a national trend. I mean, just yesterday, you know, we had a panel on this, um, and it's a trend nationwide and, you know, Michigan is going to be I think a lead and an outlier pretty soon because we have made changes, but yet you're trying to avoid kids going um, juvie to prison. You know what I mean? Right. You want them to see, recognize that their actions were wrong and what they can do to get on the right path. Uh, and I think it's worthwhile for us to invest money upfront in these kids when they're younger than letting them go to our prison system and then us spending $37,000 a year.
0: All right, well, we look forward to uh, checking with you in the coming weeks as uh, maybe some of these things start to move and, and you get back in session and and uh, all of that. And, of course, uh, some of the detail to which we referred will be in the show notes at battlecreekpodcast.com for this episode of Community Matters, including uh, Representative Leitner's website and uh, contact info and, and all of that. And, heck, you may run into her at the Eaton County Fair. Who knows?
1: <laughs> Eaton, Jackson, Calhoun
0: yeah you'll be all around that's right yeah all right well thank you sarah we'll we'll stay in touch
1: all right thanks richard take
0: care